the Askell Business Brunch. Hello and welcome to Askell's Business Brunch podcast. My name's Hayley Dunn and I'm Askell's Business Leadership Specialist. I'm Louise Hatswell. I'm Askell's Conditions of Employment Specialist. And I'm Julia Harnden and I'm Askell's Funding Specialist. And a very warm welcome to this episode of the podcast. Now, today, our theme, uh, we thought we would discuss roundtables. And that's because over the last couple of weeks, all three of us have been involved in a number of really, really interesting uh, roundtable discussions with both members and with other association and network leaders. So we thought we'd share some of the insights and some of our takeaways from those discussions and also leave you with some questions uh, that we've posed at, at those roundtables that you may want to get in contact with us to give your views on. So Louise, if we come to you first, we've been involved uh, this week with our business leaders task and finish group that are looking at pay conditions and recognitions. Do you want to share a little bit about what that group was talking about? Yeah, thanks, Hayley. Um, so yeah, this I think this was the fifth meeting, uh, fifth or sixth meeting of the task and finish group. And we've had that real clear programme of work that we were uh, to aiming to complete over uh, this academic year and this uh, this half terms meeting was about recruitment and retention of school business leaders which also probably quite obviously did um, lead into uh, issues around all support staff roles but we were you know the focus was trying to be around those school business manager and school business leader roles um, and we looked at uh, some of the uh, challenges and factors that are affecting uh, recruitment and retention for those roles um, and it was really interesting to get some feedback I, I mean I think one thing that we will say is overwhelmingly from everyone within the group and all the other feedback that we've had around this issue this is an absolutely um, sector-wide issue and it doesn't matter what kind of schools people are in where they're located or anything like that everybody's finding recruitment and retention recruitment particularly a real challenge at the moment and that's for all roads particularly uh, there are there are issues within teaching roles but they're really really struggling with their support staff roles um and some of the issues that were were fed back yesterday i mean we're seeing some of this ourselves that uh, you know in the national press and things um that the changes that have been made to some workplaces and some uh, employers have put into place as a result of the pandemic and because of the um the job market being as buoyant as it is at the moment actually that's be- making those jobs that are outside the sector some of them are still in the put within the public sector but you know an awful lot of those roles out in the private sector are much more appealing those flexible working opportunities some of that hybrid working and being able to work those flexible hours where you know they may be able to work uh, in the evenings and uh, early mornings before school runs and things like that just making those roles more attractive um, and and the cost of living uh, crisis that's happening at the moment is really contributing to that because um some of these people that you know those rural schools are finding coastal schools people don't want to relocate the house prices in those areas have really really risen and that makes that uh, quite difficult the fuel costs are making it really uh, you know commuting is quite um, expensive for people so anywhere where they can have those flexible working opportunities and work from home that's actually becoming even more appealing than it was before um, so I think that you know th- th- a lot of those things we, we, we've been seeing anecdotally but we were getting some real hard examples of that yesterday today some of the issues that people are finding with the school business leader roles the um when the person that a current um member of staff puts their notice in 
it's actually taking quite a significant period of time by the time that person's left they've advertised they may have had to go through two or three rounds of adverts before they've got a, even a small pool of applicants then by the time that person then gives their noticing and starts that's leaving a significant gap in uh, with of provision that's really difficult even to fill in an interim basis so that there are so many different challenges that this presents um, but what I did find yesterday was some real inspirational and innovative ways that people are addressing some of these issues um, and I'll share a few of them. Um, apprentices seem to be being really used in creative ways. Some of people were using uh, finance apprentices to train up alongside finance officers uh, and very much a theme throughout the whole uh, meeting that we had yesterday was this grow your own uh, people are moving towards this growing your own talent um, and so the apprentices some people were using the kickstart scheme which I thought was really interesting and we are going to follow up uh, and have some more um, focused in, uh, meetings around this and discussions around this to see if there's anything that we can share more widely but that was leading into then apprenticeships being offered um, and uh, People, you're using them for support, mainly for support roles. Some of them we're using for some roles that were leading into teaching, but it's really interesting to see them being used for uh, leading into those uh, roles that will hopefully at the, in the future lead into business, uh, business manager, business leader roles. Um, another issue that I thought was really um, in, inventive and really creative was um, the use of alumni networks and having that uh, group of ex-students uh, that they could target and that had actually came forward and really helped with the mass testing that was gone on carried out within schools but that's actually uh, starting to give some ITT students you know people that want to go on to become teachers people that maybe were looking at uh, alternative careers and then the changes of the pandemic because they were then involved with the school through the testing are then starting to look into roles within education so um, you know some really really interesting um, and creative and innovative ways of dealing with some of these things I mean that some of the support staff roles it's not like we said it's not just about that school business managers we were seeing that people were having issues recruiting for caretakers site managers that their salary is just not reflective of the work and the responsibility if you think of how those roles have changed over the last two years with the amount of work that's need been needed as a result of the pandemic and those safety measures um, you know that they were seeing that they were they were really struggling to recruit some of those um, roles and I think one final interesting point I would just say is that the term time only role appears to no longer be as appealing as it was before. Uh, you know, it's quite often a role that appealed to parents that have got young children, wanted to be able to work and be able to sort out that childcare in the in the holidays. But now with those other flexible working opportunities that are around, people are on. It's not quite as appealing to, to and it's not quite that sought after job that it was, you know, perhaps 10 years ago. So I just thought it was really, really interesting that reassuring probably for some members that actually this is an across the board issue, that it's not just something that they're facing, but that's actually quite a concern for the sector um, uh, about the challenges that they're facing. So it was a really fascinating discussion, wasn't it, Louise? And I think as well, uh, we, we talk about the breadth that that of experience that that group has. So we, we have members from across um, a number of the regions of England, but we've also got a representative on the group from Wales as well. And it was really interesting to to hear that, for example, the, um, the funding streams and the grants that have been available are very different in Wales. And some schools may have the reserves, but actually that isn't helping them 
in the recruitment and the retention crisis because there's only certain things that you can do within the parameters of what you're allowed to do within pay and conditions. And one of the things that I thought was was absolutely fascinating was the discussion that we had around um, what younger people want. So those that are more um, um, entering into the workforce that we heard examples that actually younger people have got an appetite for supply work for part-time work and are living a more transient lifestyle and we, we heard mm-hmm. about examples where actually younger people are of the opinion that they're, they're very unlikely to be able to afford a mortgage they want really good work-life balance they want to travel they want to experience things so actually for them they don't want to be tied down to a contract they actually want the flexibility that they they have an income coming in for a period of time but actually because like you said Louise it's quite a buoyant market they're not too worried if that comes to an end because they know there's other work out there yeah absolutely and I I thought that was really interesting you know it's something you perhaps don't think about because in the mindset that um, we probably are at our sort of age you know it's it is that the getting that secure permanent job and the mortgage responsibilities and things you don't see that from that other that other viewpoint and it's really quite interesting to think that people are actually making that conscious decision to do that um and it's it's how we harness that into it to to make that work for education that, that you know there is still that that talent out there um and how we harness that and be able to work with that in schools absolutely i think i think we're going to have to think about how we're going to be able to adapt that to be able to to keep doing uh, definitely to be doing the core purpose you you, you need um, people who are um, fantastic teachers teaching in front of of, of children but I think we are going to have to think about where there are options for us to adapt to be flexible where we can automate because because I think the younger people do have a very very different view on um, life and how they want to live it and as as employers um, that people are going to have to adapt to that yeah yeah definitely i think one of the other er- topic areas that i found um really interesting that you mentioned was some of the um contextual and demographic differences so we heard examples of um, for example some employers who are on the outskirts of uh, very major towns which on at one time were was a great appetite for people to live in that area but actually people are finding it that they can't afford to live in those areas um, and then the, the cost of living is just too high but then on on the flip side of that we also heard about some of our colleagues from our colleagues who are in more rural areas that they're finding that there's a very small pool of candidates that they're pulling from and that they're seeing very small numbers perhaps even a couple um, in some instances in terms of the numbers that they're actually getting to be able to um, apply and shortlist for the, for those posts and also I think a sense that that people don't um, necessarily feel that um, loyalty or that I think at one time I don't know whether you'd agree when I was growing up it, I was always sort of had this an unwritten rule that any any shorter than 12 months in a job didn't look good on your CV but I don't yeah. think that's the case now would you agree? I think exactly the same. I've I just coincidentally just had the com- same conversation with my son this week. He's a qualified electrician now. He retrained. He did his degree at university on sport and was hoping to go into schools in sport, but that didn't that just didn't work out. Um, so he's retrained to be an electrician, and he's had several jobs over the last five years. And when I, when he was looking, he's just been successful in another job, and he said it's. I said it. 
I've always been said to him, you know, you want some security, you want to look, show some stability on your CV. And he said, it's not the case. You know, he says, what we show it, what I'm showing is a wide variety of experience. I've worked in lots of, so he's, he's kind of done a year in one place, nine months in another place, but it's been completely different work. But that's given him the portfolio of work that is needed to get the role he's got now. So I think that's absolutely um, the case. It's, it's not necessarily a negative uh, thing to look at. Yeah, exactly. I think there is that people are looking for that breadth of experience and that you haven't almost got a um, a fixed mindset in that you can only work in, in one context. So I think that's um, it's something really important for employers to think about. And I think that leads in really nicely to some of the discussions that we've had uh, with the roundtables on workload, which if anybody's listened to this podcast before, you'll know that workload is um, an area that we've been researching. It was an area that came up through previous discussions with our school business leadership task and finish group as being a key issue for the profession and we saw that Louise in your um, in the survey didn't we that was done back in uh, February 2021 where I think it was something like 47% of business leaders who responded said that they didn't have a manageable workload. Yes, that's right. And I think there was about another 15% that weren't sure. So we, we only ended up with about 35% that actually felt that their workload was manageable. And then that the link was the other question that we asked was about their work-life balance. So we had those similar um respondent those similar responses saying that they you know they weren't happy with their work-life balance. And I think that that's that's a real part part of the results of that survey is that is the was the driving force for our task and finish group but I think the workload element is is really keen there. I agree and actually one of the the roundtables that we had was attended by a number of um, professional organisations, business leadership, network group leaders um, and the, the Institute for School Business Leadership and I think what was um, reassuring probably in an uncomfortable way was colleagues from those those organisations. So, for example, organisations like um, the National Governance Association, the National Association of Head Teachers, uh, Unison. We also had um, somebody from the, uh, the Department for Education Policy team with us. Was all of the, uh, the sector bodies were all giving exactly the same um, examples of what they're hearing from their members. This isn't an issue just for ASCOL members, it's a sector wide. And for example, we heard that some of the workload pressures were around the changing government guidance, dealing with health and safety, managing the financial pressures, covering work of another post, supply, well-being, all the estate strategies. So, and it's not just, I think what's what's been really important for us is it's not one thing that you can pinpoint and say that's the issue and this is how we solve it I think it's going to be lots of little changing lots of little things that are going to improve workload because there are just so many pressures on the profession yeah absolutely I'd agree I I think um, somebody in the meeting summed it up that it's a not a one-size-fits-all and not a one person can fix everything either so I think it's going to have to take that collective approach and come up with some strategies that um, address each of the individual um, issues and, and hopefully people will then be able to you know take the bits that are relevant to them and help them to to re- work that in their own settings. 
Absolutely. And we know as well that uh, talking to some of the uh, the network leaders in some of the follow up conversations from those roundtables, that they're taking away the questions that we discussed at the roundtable to have further discussions with their networks to be able to provide more feedback, which is absolutely fantastic. So actually a bit of a call out to, to listeners. We thought we'd just share those questions with you. And if you'd like to get in touch, we'd absolutely love to hear your views and to feed that into our research. So the sorts of questions that we are asking are which areas of demand have the most pull on business leaders time which returns take a significant amount of time so that could be a statutory or a non-statutory return that you're expected to do by one of the uh, regulatory bodies where do we need more advice and guidance in the sector and what are the biggest barriers to keeping your workload manageable? So if you'd like to get in touch and feed in your views, you'd be very, very welcome to. And you can email those to tellus at askall.org.uk. And I'm sure as well, if you're um, somebody who is a member of the other organisations that I've mentioned, I'm sure they'd be very, very happy to have a conversation with you about workload, because actually this is something that Askell have, have initiated, but actually all of those associations and groups around the table really keen to keep that conversation going and so it is something that we're going to keep bringing to the table when we're in stakeholder meetings to keep advocating on business leaders behalf um, and I can't tell you how important first-hand experience I think sometimes when I when I talk to members they'll say well well I'm, I'm sure everybody's saying the same but actually if we hear the same thing from 10 people or 20 people that actually adds a lot of power because it, it it's it it says that it's not in one context or one situation that this is happening. It shows that this is happening to a number of people and it's something that we could need to do something about. So please don't worry that you might be telling us something that somebody has already said. That's actually what we'd really like. We'd like to hear all of your views so that we can collate that together and, as I said, advocate on your behalf. Um, so, it's, I mean, it's been such a, an interesting time and there's so much going on in the, the policy world. Um, Julia, I'd love to hear from you because I know you've been involved in a different piece of work that Louise and I haven't, which is around the SEND review and the green paper. would love to hear some of your updates from how those conversations have gone. Thanks, Hayley. I mean, before I get it into that, though, I mean, it was it was really good to have to be in the um, luxurious position of listening to you two talking about the roundtables that you've been involved in. And one reflection on that: you talked about the young people and and different behaviours that that young people are are demonstrating in terms of of what they want out of the workplace. And then you moved on to talking about workload, particularly. And this is, you know, I'm. I'm tending to think this is in the current workforce. I wonder if the generations that are, are coming behind us uh, have looked at that and that's informing their decisions about what they are, what they want and need out of their uh, work and work-life balance. It was a really interesting um, reflection to just, you know, just to be able to sit and listen to you too. So thanks for that. Um, so the SEND review, yes, I talked in the last podcast, I talked a fair bit about the uh, SEND review green paper um, and the, 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 the need um, for as many people as possible, really, to, to get involved in the SEND review and to put a consultation response in. The consultation response deadline has been extended to the 22nd of July, so that gives everyone a little bit more time. I think it was the 1st of July before. So one of the things that, that ASCAL have been doing... Um, as we put our response together, is setting up um, several roundtable discussions because 
whilst we need to be sure that we submit a fully formed and representative response um, that, that crosses the SEND system um, and, and alternative provision system as a whole, what we know is that we need to get the perspective of different parts of the sector within that. So we have um, uh, run, Margaret Mulholland um, has led roundtables um, for specifically for special schools, specifically for alternative provision um, colleagues. We have done a, um, a, a more general roundtable, so particularly then we had the opportunity to look at um, SEND support in mainstream. We've talked about the specifics at primary and we've talked about um, the specifics of funding. And, and as I said last in the last podcast, from my perspective, I can only look at this from the funding element. I can't pretend to have any expertise in at practitioner level. And uh, so it's really, really important for me to listen uh, to all of those um, colleagues and make sure that what we say about funding reflects what needs to happen um, on the ground um, in, in our schools and alternative provision. What was really interesting was that whilst each, each group spoke about um, their own perspective, there were some very common themes that were coming through in, in all of them. Um, and I th it's those that I'd just like to share really, I think, today. So things like the necessity for collaboration, which I think we're, we're pretty good at across the sector, but a recognition that there seems to be, uh, that, that there is a lack of multi-agency capacity. So, for example, we know that uh, local authority level squeezed resources over time, experience um, of staff, uh, experienced staff move on, um, they may not be able to be replaced because of squeezed resources, etc., etc. So, So there's potentially a lack of multi-agency capacity which needs addressing if the proposals are going to be able to be um, effective. We know that there is a, a recruitment uh, issue, and you alluded to that at the beginning of, of your conversations, I think, um, about... Uh, support staff. We know that in teaching assistance recruitment, I think one of the colleagues that we were talking to talked about it as a crisis and it is recognised at high level across their local authority area that this is a real issue. So that's something that's going to be impact on the opportunity for these proposals to be successful. And we, we were looking at that in, in the in this through the lens of you know what are the unintended consequences or risks of some of the proposals that are being um, uh, set out in the uh, in the green paper so that was really interesting um, and what we think uh, you know one of the things we're going to say is that there needs to be um, a, a greater focus on a, a a structural mechanism that's going to address some of those issues. Um, and the, the last thing that I'd just like to highlight, if I may, is around, um, specifically around funding, and, and it won't surprise you to know that this was discussed at length um, in, in the, the, the funding group meeting. And that was around um, this idea of, of uh, the notional budget, the notional SEN budget, um, which um, says that this is the amount of money in a mainstream school that you need to be spending on um, uh, SEN. 
Um, and then that sometimes is at loggerheads with this first £6,000 of support that schools are, uh, mainstream schools are required to put in to uh, before there any top-up funding is available. And what um, colleagues are telling us um, really clearly is that not only um, does the variance in the way the notional SEM budget is put together cause a bit of a problem um, in different areas across the country, but there's no um, acknowledgement of the broader costs of putting in the, 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 the support that is needed. So that's, for example, if you've got um, a higher than average proportion of pupils in your school that um, require SEN support, so you're taking some of those pupils out of lessons and... and um, putting on um, uh, not necessarily resource provision, but additional classes for those students, that has an impact on your uh, teacher time and your the required number of full-time teaching equivalent. So therefore, that has a funding impact. And those things are not always considered, um, we don't think, when, um, when we're looking at... Um, the SEM budget, for example. So there's huge amounts to think about, but some really, really good discussions um, and, and some, some common themes coming through uh, all different parts of the sector, which is very powerful, I think, for us. Uh, and and I imagine that anyone that's listening to this, you know, will, will be nodding and thinking, yes, that's, that's an issue for us um, in our school, particularly around the recruit recruitment um, of TAs, I think. I think that sounds, it sounds fascinating, Julia. And I think it's, for me, it's thinking about SEND in all the different contexts that that, um, that 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 there is. So, for example, what what does SEND look if you're a maintained primary school? What does it look like if you're an SEND specific school who takes a um, a particular type of need? And and how are um, these strategies, these these policy lines? going to impacts in each of those settings because it's so so complex and like you say there's the the unintended consequences like the the notional notional SEN budget and how you decide to spend that and what knock-on effect that's going to have for the for the rest of the provision that you're able to to offer with your your curriculum and your teaching and learning. Mm, absolutely right absolutely right the, the sense system has has a huge impact um on, on all parts of the sector you know looking at i think you, you know everything from sense support in mainstream to uh, children and young people with with very complex needs so and i think all, all that does is reinforce the importance of this review um and and the opportunity that we've got um, to, to delve into this in, in so much detail and make sure that we, you know, we, we get things right as, as far as possible. And we absolutely cannot be one-dimensional about it. It's, it's multifaceted and that makes it more complicated. And, it, and I think that's why you know, we, it's taken so long to get this review. I think it, it was commissioned in 2019, um, but we have to welcome the fact that we are talking about it now. Yeah, absolutely. And it's probably just worth mentioning here, Julia, that um, for anybody who's an ASCO member, that if they want to look at any of our consultation responses, we put all of those onto the ASCO website so that our members can access them so they can see uh, what position that we've taken. And I'm sure we'll do the same with this consultation so that there's um, a transparency about what we're saying on members' behalf. 
absolutely right. Yes, it will be. It will be a public document. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Julia. Um, just a quick mention before we finish today's podcast to um, say that uh, Julia, Louise and I will all be at Askell's Conference for Business Leaders, uh, which is going to be focused on a sustainable future. That's going to be on the 22nd of June in Birmingham. We'd absolutely love for you to join us. If you do want to find out more information, you can go to www.askell.org.uk forward slash BL conference and uh, we'll love to see you there and thank you so much for joining us take care the Askell Business Brunch